T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Number one youth soccer coach, Greg Thompson, joining me on the Western Hotline. Which which would you prefer to be introduced as, Greg? Uh, I can't lie. We did pitch another shutout this morning, so uh, keep the undefeated streak alive. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time. The girls are having fun. And and uh, that's cute. You said the girls are having fun. Like like that's what you actually care about. It's all about the wins, damn it. Um, no, but that's good. That, listen, I uh, as a uh, as a kid that grew up playing, I started my first sport that I started playing was youth soccer. Very quickly, uh, my soccer coaches, they kind of just told me, like, yeah, this is, th- you should go play football. Because I just kept, like, slide tackling people and playing full contact. And when you're, like, seven years old, um, you know, they kind of frown upon other seven-year-olds, like, trying to beat down other people on the field. So, yeah, it just, just ended up not being my sport. Yeah, right. I channeled it in a good way. Yeah. Um, so, Greg, listen, I had a pretty uh, – Corey and I talked a lot last segment about – Julio Jones and Zach Ertz, and sort of, listen, I, this is a never-ending conversation until a move is made and we know how this team ultimately determines they want to, you know, improve the offense a little bit here or improve the pass-catching situation. I think we'll just continue kind of going back and forth on stuff like this, but, man, I I, I sit in this weird place. They're, they're clearly setting themselves up for a move with, with the conversion of Stefan Diggs' salary into a, into a signing bonus and clearing up you know just, just south of $8 million on the cap. If you are Brandon Bean, telegraph what that move is for. Is, is this as cut and dry as, oh, they're clearly trying to go out and get Zach Ertz? Or, or do you believe that maybe he turns this into two players, maybe two defensive players or one defensive player in an offense? I don't know. Tell me what you think and telegraph what Brandon Bean is doing with this move and, and, and why you think it's a smart idea. Sure, and I think there's multiple moves. So you have the opportunity, obviously. There's a couple things to keep in mind. One, they hadn't signed Greg Rousseau yet. So a lot of people would put out the – cap figure of 11 million and change it's actually closer to 10 million because they hadn't signed his contract yet he wasn't on the cap yet so it's right there around 10 million brandon bean also likes to have some money in his pocket going into the year in the early years he did that with 10 million plus last year he did it under five and he was fine but you need some money to be able to sign additional guys but you lose guys on ir i think there's five or six million dollars to work with here they also showed the appetite to do void year deals with Emmanuel Sanders. He got $6 million, but they did only four and change this year and uh, $1.5 to $2 million next year. So they have some options to spread that out. The guys who are on the market have been on the market for three months now. They're getting to the point where, hey, you know, I still want to save face. I want a little bit of money, but okay, I'll make it work here. And they'll spread some things out. It's a little bit lower. I think there's four positions that we see. Um, I personally think that defensive tackle, specifically a one-tech 
run-defending defensive tackle, uh, a cornerback two, another competition for Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace, then tight end, then wide receiver, in, in my mind, are the four we could look at. I think they could do two of them. I think they could do two of those and be able to get a Steven Nelson or a Richard Sherman plus a Jarrell Casey or a Zach Ertz, but it's all about how they can maneuver the money and be able to fit it in. Obviously, someone like Julio would take up all the money. I think they're more in that, hey, can we get you $5 million, but we knock it down to 25 with a void year and we spread the money out. I think they're more in that range. Yeah, and I'm wondering too, so I, I, I do want to focus a little bit here on the Zach Ertz uh, I don't know, dilemma, uh, I don't know what to call it, but I sit in this opportunity. opportunity. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. That's way more, that, that's way more friendly. Um, what does he represent to you? Um, and, and do you believe that a player that, I, I mean, we, I, you and I would have to assume that any move for Zach Ertz whatever the compensation in return is, is mostly for the amount of money that Philadelphia will, will be retaining of that contract, not the actual value of the player they're getting in return. Can we agree on that? 100%. Okay. I, I think it's a direct correlation. If you go, if the, the more Philly eats, it could be a fourth rounder next year. The less they eat, it could be a sixth or seventh rounder. And I think, honestly, each million dollars that they eat bumps it up around. Kind of my thought as well. Okay, so we're on the same page there, which I wasn't. I wasn't thinking we weren't, but I just wanted to. I wanted the listeners to know just how much on the same page we are. The next sort of phase, the next ask of this question, I guess, ultimately goes to. Okay, so you find a uh, you find a logical trade back and forth. Maybe you bring Zach Ertz, and maybe his cap hit for this year is something like five and a half million, and maybe that's what you feel good about, and that's the move you end up making. Okay, well now my question to you is. Is that five and a half million? And let's just view him as an asset. Let's not view him as anything more. Let's not talk about the value he brings in the field, but just as a as a pure asset. This asset now comes into the roster, comes onto the onto the books as a player that directly impacts and potentially stunts the development of Dawson Knox. And I guess part of this trade, Greg, has to be either an indictment or maybe an overall hedge or concern that you are not going to actually find or see the ceiling that you believe Dawson Knox actually has. Is part of this move an understanding, I mean, is there an understanding, I guess, that this move will hurt the development of Dawson Knox? So I don't think it's as cut and dry as that, but it's impossible for that not to be a piece of this. If they are absolutely sold that Dawson Knox is going to make that third-year leap, then they wouldn't be talking to Philadelphia. And although the deal's not completed, you and I and many others know these discussions are taking place. There's a chance Howie Roseman remains stubborn and they can't get a deal done, but they're not talking because they're not interested. That's like right. Brandon Bean yeah. is interested. He, wa- he wants this player. So to me, they've already acknowledged there's a need to hedge. Now, I've spent a lot of time, you know, kind of advocating to people that this is not either or. Like, multiple guys play. This is, you know, I hope that Dawson Knox develops. I hope that his um, improvement in catch rate and reduction in drop rate from last year continue. I hope that his ability to get open and create separation improves. Hope is not a plan. So, to me, Zach Ertz is an upgrade over Tommy Sweeney because a a tight end room of Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox, and and Jacob Hollister is much better than a tight end room of Dawson Knox, Jacob Hollister, and Tommy Sweeney. 
So I see it as an overall improvement. And yes, there is the possibility that instead of ready to take a step forward, it's now developing a little bit lower and taking the reps he can as more of a tight end 1B for Dawson Knox. But if he ends up exploding and is the Dallas Goddard to, to Zach Ertz, he's going to get reps. That They would have no problem letting the guy come in and continue to develop and that you know their loyalty would be there. So if he explodes, he's going to play. This is simply a hedge that now we have another guy who understands leverage, understands finding spacing and zone. When later in the year, a lot of teams pivoted to zone defense against uh, Josh Allen because mm-hmm. of how unbelievable he was against man. Well, Beasley was our only real weapon there. Now you can't focus on Beasley. We have two guys who are great at finding spots in the zone and really let you pick your points. I want that option in the tool belt. I want that availability. I'm not saying, hey, we guarantee him 80 targets. We guarantee him 90% of the tight end snaps. I do think he starts. I do think he'd get more than Dawson Knox, but Dawson Knox will still play. I guess, too, and this is probably a two-part question. What if somebody comes back to you, Greg, and says something along the lines of, yeah, but what about Emmanuel Sanders? You're talking about that we need a second guy in zone coverage that you can't just lock down Cole Beasley. You can't just put – you can't just, you know, double-team Stephon Diggs. You have Emmanuel Sanders, who we know is probably the – the, the next best pa- uh, 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 route runner on the team outside of Beasley and Diggs, and maybe he represents that. Or what if the question really becomes, how do you use Jacob Hollister, or how do you use three tight ends that that bring such a varied group of, of, of skill sets? Because you can make the case that on the field at one time, you could potentially have Ertz, Hollister, and Dawson Knox in the field, and all of them are doing like very notably different roles or different things on the field at one time. So it's a two-part question, but like, where do you sit on the Emmanuel Sanders sort of being what they're looking for in Zach Ertz? And also, like, if you add Zach Ertz, like, I feel like you're not necessarily saying you can't have all three of those guys on the field at one time. It's a great question. So I think that first last year we saw the gap when John Brown went down. Everyone remembers the deep balls for Gabe Davis and the plays he made downfield, which are very exciting. He still has a lot of work to do on his refined route running, short area quickness, creating separation in the first 10 yards. That's not uh, a strength for him yet. Yeah, not saying he can't develop. So uh, Emmanuel Sanders is still a huge improvement in creating separation, getting open as a number two receiver on the outside. He does have flexibility to go into the slot, and if we don't pick up a Zach Ertz, I do think that's what they do. You have four wide, you have Sanders and Beasley in the middle. You know They're still good. This is a play on depth. We have some age in that receiver room. There's reason that we want the embarrassment of riches that this would give. Then you point out there's a huge difference in the tight ends. Zach Ertz is basically a big slot receiver. He's a tight end in name. He's not some amazing blocker. He's not some inline you know, man who's who's shoving people around. He's a big slot receiver. He's just a good one. He's he's a good big slot receiver. You then still have Dawson Knox, who is developing as a blocker and has shown some nice aggression there. Then you have Jacob Hollister becomes really a souped-up version of what we hoped Reggie Gilliam would be, the guy who can be the move tight end, the H-back, can put his hand in the dirt as a fullback, can move around, can play special teams, and he's just there as a nice luxury as a tight end three rather than someone we have to depend on as a tight end two. Um, I do think that there's some potential there for Jacob Hollister, but they all would be active on game day in my mind as the three tight ends. You would just see a lot more special teams reps from Hollister, which he didn't see at all. 
Craig Thompson had a cover one here on the Western Hotline. We're talking a little bit about the Zach Ertz opportunity uh, and uh, and some of the other options that the Bills have potentially looking at uh, adding to their roster with the flexibility that Brandon Bean has built in with the the recent roster move of of converting Stefan Diggs's salary into a uh, into a signing bonus, which you know basically created nearly $8 million in overall cap space. Greg, uh, the last two things I wanted to kind of touch base with you on here. So I got Steven Ruiz on next. Steven did a, a great piece um, for and for the win this week talking about the schematic fit of um, – uh, of, of Ertz in this Bills offense and sort of what I think he I don't want to say he used the word redundancy but it felt like he kind of was saying like hey you add this guy this is not an inline this is not a nub tight end guy this is not a guy that's going to be on the ISO side of a formation this is a guy that for the majority of his success and where you're going to give him his most success is by lining up in the slot and this is a team within the Bills right now that maybe has the slot like signed, sealed, delivered more than any other team in the league based on what they have with Cole Beasley, based on what they can do with a guy like, I, frankly, I, and I mentioned this to to Stephen when, when I was booking him for the show, I was like, what about Isaiah Hodgins? This totally kind of says bye-bye to Isaiah Hodgins' role. Um, so tell me, scheme-wise, do you love it? Do you hate it? Are you just like, just add players and we'll figure out how to make it work? <laughs> so I think that Stephen's point is very valid. I, I do think that there's... I think there's a chicken or the egg that's out there. Many of the folks that we know um, use the word wide receiver-centric offense. Um, and last year, the Bills had the most production of any wide receiver group in the NFL. Their wide receivers had more targets, more catches, more yards than any wide receiver group in the NFL. I feel like that's a chicken or the egg element mm. and that Brian Dable is very adept at getting the ball to the people who deserve the ball. I don't think he has some aversion to hating tight ends and just, you know, if, if we had Travis Kelsey, sorry, this is, in the, this is a wide receiver-centric offense. We don't want you to have the ball. I think if we had a more talented tight end last year, he would have caught more balls. Um, so, you know, I'm not anti-Dawson Knox. I just am not a full believer yet. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the flashes of potential everybody else has seen. I'm not ready to assume he's ready to do that. I think if he was given a pro-ready, nuanced, intelligent tight end, he would build it more into the offense. Maybe that is Dawson Knox, but I think Steven's point is we will show, and I'm sure he'll speak to, is that we did an awful lot of good things without needing that. And yeah. that, hey, you can probably do those good things again. And he's not wrong. I, I do think the one caveat to it is down the stretch, we saw the challenges of all the reps that all our wide receivers took and that you know, Cole Beasley was kind of hobbling to the finish line. We found out about the surgery for uh, Stephon Diggs after the season. There was an awful lot of guys going down the stretch that were kind of patching it together to make it work. I'd love to have the luxury of managing reps, mm. managing uh, workload, and getting to the finish line a little fresher and being able to have that. I think he would offer that in that sense. So um, it's not a, a need. I have it third. I would rather go after a D tackle. I would rather go after a cornerback. Um, but I do think tight end is one of our weakest position groups on the roster, and adding talent to it is a good thing, even if it's not a burning need. So the last question I want to ask you, and listen, I know where I think I think I know where you stand on the Julio Jones saga. Uh, this is another one. Do we want to call this one an opportunity as well? <laughs> uh, Saga's probably right. Okay, Saga's right. That, that's what I thought. Um, listen, I, I neither neither you or me actually believe this is a move the Bills want or are considering or have you know spun the wheels on. But 
I, what the one thing I, I hope that you agree with me is on wanting to debunk this idea that the Bills, I guess people are making it seem like people that want to see Julio Jones here are saying that the Bills need Julio Jones. And I just want to debunk that. I don't think anyone has actually said that the Bills need Julio Jones. I think, I think in the opposite conversation, you are foolish if you don't think Julio Jones makes this offense the conversation around Julio Jones should be this. The Bills are in a window, and whether or not the addition of Julio Jones and the cap hit that 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 subside that, that comes with that shortens their window, it uh, their Super Bowl window, there is zero denying, Greg, that it doesn't make the current window that they're in right now this year more likely for them to win a Super Bowl. And for me, Greg, I would rather trade off winning a Super Bowl this year than having four or five more years of a Super Bowl window where you could potentially win one. And I think I just want people to sort of see it from that light. It's the same conversation Knicks fans are having with themselves right now in denial, saying, well, we need an elite scorer, but we don't want to trade R.J. Barrett because he might be good in five years. Like, that to me is just, it's a bass-ackwards way of looking at it. And I think for me... Go get if you can have two of the best top five receivers in the game and maybe one of the best ever. I think you can figure. And you and I have you have figured out the the, the financial ramifications of it and how to make it work. It's less about making it work for me, Greg. The conversation and more about getting people to sort of acknowledge and take their fan glasses off for a minute. How much better this offense could be if they had a healthy Julio Jones? Yeah, it's don't get me wrong. It's at a position of strength. Um, but if we had a chance to get David Barry, I'd want him. Correct. If we had a chance to get if we had a chance to get Derwin James or Justin Simmons, I'd want him. We don't ever need a tackle. We don't ever need a safety. I'd love to find a way to figure out how to add in an elite football player. Julio Jones is still an elite football player. He was on pace for the same per game averages as Stephon Diggs last year. If he played every game, he would add fourteen hundred yards. This is not some old you know, washed up guy. He is still an elite football player who had only missed like six games in the previous seven seasons. The worst narrative I hear is that he's oft injured or he's like, you know, some guy that misses all these, all these games. It's just, that's just, it's, it's a lazy take. All you have to do is go on Google. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. The things we mentioned about, it is the strength of our team. We have a, a great wide receiver group already. We have some cap limitations. What that probably means is there are other teams who are more desperate who will overpay and that Brandon Bean would simply be willing to pay. He would be willing to pay the market rate. And, you know, maybe that's Gabe Davis in a second round pick. Maybe that's Gabe Davis in a third round pick, something like that. That's a steep price. I think there are other teams who will pay more and will eventually pay a first round pick. And I think Atlanta can hold pretty firm to that because there's enough teams interested doing that. So not wanting him, I think is crazy acknowledging that we're probably not going to be the highest bidder is okay, and feeling good about the fact that we still have a killer wide yeah. receiver group is a pretty good luxury to fall back on. Yeah, I think it's a win-win scenario for the Bills. They're, they're, they're good if they do, good if they don't. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a, it's a comfortable situation to be in when you're an NFL team in a Super Bowl window. Greg, thanks so much, brother. Appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and, uh, and, and good luck uh, getting those dubs in, uh, in, in your youth soccer uh, coaching <laughs> career. We'll be, we'll be looking on uh, as the, the new Newt Rockney uh, as, as settles in uh, in, the, in the greater Cleveland area. We appreciate it, brother. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.